Amen. The Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and is sa- and are saved, right? How many of y'all need a strong tower every once in a while to run to? A safe place, a safe haven, a place to run so that you can not just hide from the enemy, but the great thing about the tower is, is it's far above the enemy. A tower gives you perspective. Have y'all ever seen a tower? I'm talking about, I mean, we call water towers, towers, and those are some of the highest things in the landscape a lot of times. Why? Because they, when they say people tower above someone, because they're a lot, a lot taller than them. Well, I tell you all this morning that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, at whose name one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that name is a strong tower to those that would confess it, to those that would believe in him. Amen? And confess his name. Praise God, man, that song just got me charged up. And for those of y'all that don't know, the Lord gave us that song as a worship group. We wrote that song about a month ago. So that was a gift from God to you all. No one else has heard that song. Praise God. Hallelujah. Man, praise the Lord. God's good. So we're going to move into finishing up here. Uh, a little teaching, and I just want to let you know that it was never my endeavor to give you an exhaustive covering of the blood covenant. I told you all that, in fact, there are there are conferences, there are workshops, there are teachings, some of which through even in schools that will go on for a full year on this subject because there is so much to talk about. And in fact, you know, last week we discussed the elements and foundations of what covenant really meant. And more specifically, what blood covenant meant. And uh, we talked about how really the Bible, when you say Old and New Testament, the word testament really is the word that would be used for like will. It's basically a statement of someone's life. Well, we know whose life that's a testament of. But I will tell you that really probably I think the more appropriate translation of the word testament really is, is covenant. And so really, I like to look at the Bible, and when I teach the Bible, I don't really say a lot of times the Old and New Testament. I say the Old and New Covenant. Because that's really what the Bible chronicles. It chronicles the Old and New Covenant, which is one story, one thread, and that is the plan of God's redemption of man. Amen? And we see the Old Testament and the initiation of that plan. And we see the various iterations and the things that God would have to deliver through man and and find man that would commit himself unto. But then we see that man was fallible. Is man fallible? I'm saying man gender neutral, ladies. So this applies to you too. You can't sit there and, you know, elbow your husbands. Say, oh, yeah. (laughs) Man is fallible. But you know, the thing about it is that God had a plan before there was even a man to demand the plan. Amen? 
That's what it says over in First Peter. It says the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That means he had a plan before man could screw it up. So I submit to you this morning, if that's the case, is there anything then that you can do to surprise God? Is there anything that you can do to disqualify the plan from applying to your life? There's one thing you can do. Not believe in it. Amen? That's what it is. I mean, you have to believe in it. But not just believe. You have to receive it and then be transformed. And we're going to finish talking about this blood covenant, about this plan. And glory to God, we're going to talk about the new covenant later on here. We're going to have to finish up a little bit with the old covenant, and then we're going to move into the new covenant this morning. Praise God. Okay, so, I mean, let's go ahead and click through some of these slides. Oh, I've got a clicker. I'm sorry. Woo. So I'm going to, we talked about last week about the covenant, about that the fact that it's a contract. And that really, you know, uh, the Old Testament was the first one to define really what covenant was. And Webster took that from him, really. <laughs> you know, a binding obligation with the seal, with the seal of someone's life, something of value. In this case, it's the seal of blood. We talked about different covenant cons- concepts in terms of why you would cut a covenant, ways that you would cut a covenant. And the fact that those covenants were lifelong endeavors, there was something that were not ta- you didn't enter into lightly. We talked about the different steps to covenant in terms of having a starting out with some sort of a promise, a binding obligation, and an oath that would be made, and and a promise that would be delivered if this was kept, and so forth. What it was going to give to the parties, and then the fact that there would be a sacrifice to then and then a seal, uh, and then there would actually be a covenant meal where they would sit down together and symbolize the union, and then at the end, you know to be called something that was very that's very very colloquial to us and is something common and that is the term friend but in fact in covenant language that is the pinnacle of relationship because when you're a friend you are in covenant with someone and then we talked about the uh the how you know the covenant was actually cut and this was a picture to show a sacrifice and the two pieces that were split and put mirror image of one another and one party on one end of the length of those pieces and the other party on the other length and they would literally symbolically walk between those pieces along the bloody path that blood representing the life and it's being representative of them now once divided or once separate now entering together to walk as one life together and what did we say was the perfect symbol of that in today's age the marriage marriage Blood covenant, that's a great symbol of that. We talked about the handshake, you know, being a way that covenants were sealed back in the day. We talked about blood and sacrifice and, and the fact that the blood represents life and that God gave animals uh, uh, for food, but he, and, and he were given for food, but not the blood. In other words, we were determined to, to partake of one blood in terms of an internal consumption, and that was Jesus' blood because we were destined for one life but that God would give animals as a sacrificial substitute. And we talked about the scripture that that uh, basically founded that. So now what we want to get into is talk a little bit about what the covenants were. Okay? So let's talk a little bit about the old covenant. 
So we'll talk a little bit about the Old Covenant. And, and again, I'll remind you, just like I said at the first, again, it's so important to really look at the Bible as the Old and New Covenant. Not just the Old and New Testament, but the Old and New Covenant. And if you'll look at that, you'll see that right from the beginning, God's intention for redemption is announced. You know, and you see this in Genesis 3.15. A pronouncement of the actual seed of the redemption. And listen to what this says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And the seed here is really referring to one offspring. It's referring to Jesus. Thank you. That's exactly right. This is a, this is a prophecy. And so I actually like the way the Bible and basic English, English translation brings this out. It says, and there will be war between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. By him will your head be crushed. Amen. Well, who's the him there that's doing the head crushing? Jesus. The seed. Amen. And by you, his foot will be wounded. So we see an exchange here. But we see who comes out on top in this exchange. I mean, to have a foot wound versus having your head crushed, there's a world of difference in the end of that battle. That was a prophecy of what Jesus would would uh, endure, what Jesus would do, the coming of that seed. And then we talked a little bit about this, but I just want to reiterate it again, the establishment, if you will, of blood sacrifice. And the fact that the first blood sacrifice was not by man. The first blood sacrifice was literally God who took the animal and slayed that innocent life to do one thing, and that was to cover his man that was now stripped of the glory of his presence. But that covering was never meant to be permanent. Not that covering. Because God destined man for the glory of his presence. Hallelujah. And for that to be our covering. He destined man to walk in right standing with him. Free of sin. And so we know that he institutes, you know, the significant, the institutes the, uh, significance of substitutionary sacrifice through that act. So he's killing of that animal to cover Adam and Eve. That's the first blood sacrifice. And then we see, uh, in, in also in Genesis, not too far after that, how blood is really exemplified, the significance of it. When you look at the sacrifices that were offered, a lot of people look at the story of Cain and Abel and I think they raise an eyebrow of confusion. Because when you really look at Cain's sacrifice, it doesn't say that he brought a substandard sacrifice. In other words, he didn't bring like just a few of his goods and vittles or, you know, some of the poor ones. It says he brought, it says he brought of the fruit of his ground. And I would assume, now this thus saith Greg, but I would assume he probably brought some pretty good fruits some pretty good vegetables, things that he'd produced from the ground. And you know, to my, to my feeble mind, you know, to a degree, I gotta wonder, now God, why would you despise or not esteem someone bringing what they produced? 
versus all versus you esteeming what someone else produced and brought. How is there a difference? Their difference is blood. Because Abel brought the better sacrifice in terms of what was demanded. And that was an innocent life to atone, to atone for sin. Abel understood that. Cain did not, or he refused to do it. And so then we see the jealousy and so forth, and we see what ended up happening, and Cain ended up murdering Abel. So he didn't offer the right thing. He didn't offer a blood sacrifice for atonement. Okay, so then we see that things go on just a little bit, and the people begin to proliferate, so on and so forth. And as people proliferate, and more and more the mentality of sin and and the uh, law of sin and death begins to pervade, we see that man falls farther and farther away into depravity. And in fact, it begins to be such a precious few people that are actually following the Lord that we see eventually the chronicling of the story of Noah. And we all know, we've heard that since we were in Sunday school, what happened there. But did you know that God, He actually reestablished the covenant line, obviously, through Noah, because guess what? Everyone else got wiped out, except him and his family. So he had to reaffirm and reestablish the covenant line through Noah. And we can see that in Genesis 9, 1 through 17, if you want to take some time at some point in time to, to look at that. And we also see that in that story that he reaffirms the importance of blood. And he starts to talk about how that you're not to drink, you know, the blood because it represents the life of the flesh of an animal. He talks about, you know, what was going to be demanded in terms of people that would murder people and take them their blood and so forth. So more and more the significance of blood is established through that story of Noah. And then we move to probably what most people would focus on with respect to the old covenant, and that is the cutting of covenant with Abraham. And in this, in this case, thank you, brother, it's Abram. That was a slip. That was a soulless slip there. It's Abram. And that's very important that we make that distinction. And we see that the, the steps of, I want you to keep in mind, we went through those steps of covenant. We see the steps of covenant in this that God establishes with Noah. We see a promise delivered in Genesis 12, 2 through 3. And we see what he says. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. In fact, all families on the earth will be blessed through you. And then we see that not only does God give him a promise, but he continues to reaffirm that promise as he leads Abraham up into actual cutting of the covenant. How many of y'all sometimes have to be told more than once? I'm going to raise both hands and both feet. I don't know what it is. I've heard three, I've heard seven, I've heard ten, but suffice it to say, the army understands the concept of how you get stuff into people, and I've heard them say that it takes seven times to get something into somebody. I heard someone say three times. I heard someone say ten. I'm going to go with, and I heard someone say seven. 
I'll just put it this way. You've got to say it more than once. Amen? And whenever you're telling people something that it's an impossibility, I would say you would even have to say that probably more than just several times. Particularly when you're telling somebody an impossibility like God told Abraham what was an impossibility. When you're telling a 99-year-old God that you're going to have a natural-born son, they didn't have Viagra back then. And that wouldn't even have helped. I don't think it's going to help a 99-year-old guy. Oh, come on, guys, we're family. And then Sarah, we don't even need to go there. I mean, we might envision some functionality from Abraham's part, although it's very hard. But Sarah, there's a reason why she laughed. Let's just say that. So in Genesis 13, 14 through 17, and I'm not going to read a lot of these scriptures because I just don't have time to do so. But we see that the promise is reaffirmed. And he adds a little bit more detail to it every time he reaffirms the promise. This time he tells Abram, he'll give land to him and his seed, who shall be like the dust of the earth. Okay? And then I'm going to point out something that I have not seen pointed out in a lot of blood covenant teachings that I feel like the Holy Spirit showed me. And that is Abram, you know, remember there has to be an oath in covenant. If you look in Genesis 14, 22 through 23, you actually see the evidence of an oath on Abram's part. I feel like the scripture clearly conveys Abraham's or Abram's commitment and belief in God's promise and therefore responsibility to bless him. Because the king of Sodom came up to him after whence Abram and his 300 and some odd guys went and whipped a whole nation of people and brought back not only Lot and his family from captivity, but also all the spoils thereof. And there they're all sitting there with that. And here comes the king of Sodom. And he's basically coming up for his, for, for his cut or his glory in the matter. He didn't do a blooming thing. And yet Abram sits there when King of Sodom, or, uh, Sodom comes up and he wants to make a statement to the degree of, let me, here, you just go ahead and take that, bro. You can just have all that stuff. And Abram said, uh-uh. He said, no, lest you would say, and he said, because I, I swore an oath, lest you would say, you blessed me and caused my increase. What is that co- talk? That's covenant talk. That's him saying, nah, I've already committed within my heart to the one with whom I have a promise. He is my shield. He is my exceeding great reward. Not you and not the hand of any other man. You all see that? And you all can go see the scripture. I gave you the Greg Clarkson version. So you all go look at that scripture. So we see an oath there. Then we see God actually cutting the covenant with Abram to guarantee the promise. And if we look at Genesis 15, let's just go over there and look at that right quick. 
Genesis chapter 15. This is a great chapter to meditate on. Wonderful things in here. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? Here's Abram after having been told and reaffirmed and retold that he's going to be the father of many nations. That he's going to have seed that that is going to basically be numbered like the sand. Like the stars in the sky. I want to ask you something. Is Abram's question out of line here? Now, I mean, there are years that have gone by here since that original promise. And here Abram sits and God is telling him, you know, you're, I'm your shield and exceeding great reward. Basically, you don't worry. I got everything covered. That's my version of it. But yet, we see Abram who does not have the Spirit of God inside of him. He'll have the Spirit of God come upon him, but he doesn't have him with inside of him. So guess what? His soul has got to have a little bit of extra affirmation. Now, I'm not telling you that Abram is standing in a place of unbelief, but he is asking God basically not, not whether you're going to do it. It's just how? How? I don't have a child, God. I mean, I, I you know, how, how is this going to happen? I mean, and it's been quite a while since the initial promise. And, and if we're going to have uh, descendants like the seashore, we better get it on. Amen? We better get something rolling here, God. Can't you hear Abraham's soul? Man, I can. Has anyone ever been there before? Okay, so then verse 4 says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. Talking about a person that Abram actually brought up before God. Eleazar wasn't his son, but it was an heir. that He would be the rightful or legal heir in his house. Servant. But he says, But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven. So here he is affirming the covenant, affirming the promise again. And then we see that Abram said, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him for right standing with God, for righteousness. And then the Lord goes on here because he asked him for a sign. How, 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 how am I going to know that this, this can happen, God? Can, can you give me an affirmation here at this point in time? Something that I can basically hang my hat on besides just the word, but basically demonstration of the word. Again, I don't believe it's unbelief. I just believe that Abram in his soul desired a more, a little more substantive thing to hang his hat of belief on. I really do. And so God is so good, folks. And we see what happens. And we see that that God tells him what to do. And he tells him to bring him a sacrifice of certain types of animals. And he tells him what to do with those animals. And I want you to see that, that Abram brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle. Does that look like anything we just saw a while ago? 
and placed each piece opposite the other. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I want you to see this is a picture, folks, of where we will stand even today. Even this very minute, those of us are standing for our covenant right. Where we've got the birds flying over our sacrifice. And you know what really the sacrifice is? It's our life. As we yield it unto the word of God that rightfully divides our life into soul and spirit. The Marismos action of the word. So those pieces then can, can have the word of God and the spirit of God come between them and then bring an illumination for us to be able to make a choice for spirit all the time because that's where life is at and that's where God's at. Okay? So that we can follow him wholeheartedly and, and walk before him perfectly just like he told Abram. We're going to see that in just a minute. And so I want you to see that these birds came and they came to steal or to spoil the sacrifice. You know what, folks? We've got to stand in the face of adversity when we're believing God for something. If that's not a revelation this morning, then you haven't been believing God for something for very long. You haven't stood in a place of, of basically pulling on the fabric of covenant to the point that you wonder if it's going to rip. I tell you this morning that there are birds flying over your pieces. Some of you all in here this morning. And as we look at this, we see that the sun was going down. Well, what's that a type and a shadow of? The sun is light. It's your ability to see. I tell you this morning, or is anyone sit here and think that they're losing the ability to see where they're at even? That's where the circumstances have got, have gone. It can even go to the place that you lose your ability to see from a natural perspective, from a soulless perspective. And yet we see Abram and what he did, how he responded. And it says that when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You have to do the same thing. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. It wasn't just darkness, but it was darkness to the degree that there was an absolute absence of illumination. Soullessly, spiritually, of course, because he was dead spiritually and physically. He was at a place he could not see. And it says in verse 13, Then he said to Abram, talking about God, it's capital H there, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land. And then God goes on to talk about, you know, to reaffirm the covenant, to give him a certainty of his word. And then the most important act of what takes place is symbolized in the cutting of this covenant with Abram from God's point of view. Because as it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the pieces. And then I want you to see the next verse that says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant. I'm telling you all this morning that God Almighty 
covenanted with a natural man, Abram. That was symbolic of his presence, the smoking pot being his spirit, the burning torch being the light of his word, Jesus and the spirit, and God being a part of that, all three being a part of this process of covenant with Abram. And you can see the symbology of what we were talking about a while ago with that picture where we saw the two men opposite those pieces in that bloody path. And I tell you this morning that those that smoking fire pot, that burning torch went between those pieces and over to Abram and between those pieces. And it was as good as God saying that from this day forward, Abram, you and I are united in life. Amen? Okay, so let's move on. And I want you to see that Abram, he, he believed God and he gave himself up wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. He gave himself up wholly to the covenant. When it says he believed God, that means he gave at that point in time the completeness of everything he was up to that covenant. And he found justification with God when he did that. He found justification with God when he did that. And so we see that then the next step, the covenant is not, as far as cutting it from God's perspective, the act was was done on his part, but guess what? There's a part with the other partner that now has to be done. And so we see the covenant now established and actually memorialized. Okay? So the covenant and its promise are reiterated again if we look over in Genesis chapter 17. And they're established with demand for a permanent memorialization. And most people have heard of this permanent memorialization and we kind of foreshadowed it last week, talked a little bit about it. Circumcision. And you know, a lot of people look again with a raised eyebrow of confusion with regard to circumcision. What in the world was God thinking? Why in the world would God have made such a demand upon his man in covenant? Like I said last week, why couldn't it have been an earlobe for crying out loud that we cut off? We're going to learn the reason for that. The reason for it is because simply circumcision represents the cutting away of the dirty flesh that would normally touch the seed. Do you remember the very first promise over in Genesis chapter 3? And your seed, capital S, one seed. We know that the whole reason for covenant was to bring forth or or create a legal foundation for God to deliver that seed into this world to then become a redemption for man once and for all when that seed would offer up its life. But the thing is, is that that seed could not be part and parcel and come from man's works. It couldn't come from his desire alone. It had to be born of the promise of God through a relationship established by covenant, one with another, to become one in the process 
And then God's incarnate seed could then come forth, an infallible seed could then come forth without being touched or tainted by flesh. Do you all see that? So the cutting away of that extra skin that would normally touch the emanation of seed from man. I know that gets graphic, but that's, that's literally what we're looking at here. It's symbolic. It's as good as God saying, I'm going to bring the seed forth through you, but it's not going to be wrought by your strength. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, we're not done, folks. We're going to get into that a little bit more. It's symbolic of the purity of God's seed, capital S, that would come through him, i.e. Jesus. Galatians 3.16 bears this out. It says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, And to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So there's the verse talking about what this is all about in terms of the seed coming forth from Abraham. And then we see uh, also, too, the memorialization in terms of a name change. So not only does God want a permanent symbolism of the covenant in terms of circumcision to be something that would forever memorialize the covenant with God in his life from a natural standpoint, he also wanted to go ahead and take it as far as, as every time his name would be spoken, the promise would be revealed. And so what happened was, is God literally took a piece of his name and inserted it into Abram's name. And it became Abraham. The huh comes from Elohim. Did y'all know that? Is there anything in our life that sounds something similar to this that we witness year in and year out? And, and quite a few of you all have gone through this. Ladies, come on. How about the marriage covenant? How about the fact that the lady takes on the name of the man with whom she is covenanting with? It's a model of covenant because guess what? It is covenant. And whenever you say your name after that, that, that day, guess what? You're, you're identifying yourself with your covenant partner as if it's him standing there. Man, I'll tell you what, there's such a significance here. That God literally put a piece of his name into Abram's name. And that name, whenever it was spoken, would say, Father of many nations, Father of many nations, Abraham, Father of many nations. And it would also say, me and God are one. Me and God are one. I know that's not good English, but I like it. Me and God are one. I like that. Oh, man, that's covenant. So God established the covenant and the covenant seal with man because the original authority and responsibility was given to Adam. And it was lost by him, so it was going to have to come back through man, rightfully, legally. So man must be accountable and would be used to set things in order. 
And it had to be established and come through an eternal relationship that God would have with him through covenant. Okay. Then we see over in Genesis 18, 5 through 8, the covenant meal. We see that Jesus actually came. And it says the angel of the Lord, but usually when you see that, you know, translated, it usually means, it's, it's really talking, a lot of theologians will argue that it means Jesus. That literally came and ate, along with a couple angels, ate a meal together with him. And Jesus pinpoints the manifestation of the promised son. It's no longer, you will have an heir, a physical heir. You'll bring him forth. No, this time, guess what? The word of the Lord came to him in literal form and said, this time next year. He put a definite time on it. He put a punctuation on the promise. Hallelujah. Then we see something that I think a lot of us are going to really learn a lesson through about today. We see that Abraham's commitment to the covenant is tested. His commitment to the covenant. And if you look in Genesis chapter 22... It's the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. And I would invite you to spend some time looking over this, meditating over this, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring illumination to your mind about the fullness of impact and the meaning behind what this is. And we see what God did. And I'm not going to read this story. God asked Abraham a very difficult thing. He asked him to take his only son. The absolute manifestation of the promise. Take that son and return it back to him. What kind of sense is there in that? What kind of a God would promise someone something and make him wait for scores of, you know, up into the years and years and years and over 20 years, the promise and going through all this stuff and circumcising himself and going through all the different elements of covenant that had to be gone through to establish the relationship and then turned right around after that relationship was established and the promise of that covenant was manifest and then demanded of him. What sense, what sense is there in that? I've asked that question many times until I learned what it was about. And so we see in verse 15, I'm just going to skip through a little bit. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. This is God talking to Abraham at the point at which he literally took that boy all the way up to the mountain. And he and the boy went by himself when they got to the foot of the mountain. And they went up to that mountain and made an altar. The boy made his own altar for crying out loud. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that boy wasn't four years old if he's making an altar. And in fact, he probably wasn't seven or eight, nine or ten years old. In fact, he probably was even beyond that, and some theologians say up into his mid-twenties, potentially. I want you all to pause and think about that. Had Abram had a sufficient time to establish a, a real love for this boy? 
Had the boy had sufficient time, though, to establish an honor and respect for his father that he was willing to die for? Well, there's a lesson to be learned in that, kids. Because here you see a boy that very much could have, and I've got, I found some pictures on the internet, and this one I like because it has basically Isaac, a strapping young man that very well could have whipped his father physically. Could have beat him down and ran away. But we see Isaac going up to the place to where here his father is fixing to plunge the knife into him. And then it stopped. God let that, that act go all the way to the bitter end to determine that Abram was in fact going to carry it through. Going to be that obedient. And then stopped it. And we see God say, that the Lord said to him a second time from heaven, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Why would he emphasize your only son if there's not a parallel to someone else that's fixing to, that's making way for them to give their son, their only son? It's going to start becoming clearer. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so we see here God affirming Abraham's obedience and really foreshadowing something that this whole thing is about. Because Abraham's commitment to the covenant was to the very sacrifice of his promised son, because Abraham Abraham was willing to return back into his covenant partner what really was rightfully his because his covenant partner gave it to him. Talking about Isaac here, folks. So if, if we're covenant partners here, then what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. And if I've given you something and I, need, I want it back, then if we're covenant partners, then you've got to give it back to me if we're covenant partners. Y'all see that? Well, what this did, the significance of this crazy, weird event from a natural perspective is create a legal means by which the Father God could give His Son, His one and only Son. Because if there, if there was no man from a natural perspective who had the rightful authority that God had given him to, that would be willing to go to the obedience to that level, then God would not have a legal right to do the same thing in the natural by giving Jesus. So this whole thing was nothing but the story of God's love just being furthered and manifested. His plan just being manifested to the eye, to the, to the human reasoning. This seems like madness. But to a father God who before the foundation of the world had purposed to give his son, his one and only son, he had to find a man who would covenant with him that would be willing to do the same thing. And so hallelujah for Abraham. Praise God for a man that was willing to obey his covenant partner. That is the significance, and I did a very poor job, but that is the significance of that story. Creating the legal path for Jesus to be able to come. (laughs) 
And I'm not done talking about commitment. You know, the thing that we've got to realize in covenant is that we have to keep our end of things for him to keep his. And I think a lot of times we just look at our covenant partner and we expect the blessings. We expect the results of God being faithful to his word. We expect uh, his working on our behalf. But yet we are not willing to represent our covenant partner in this world. At the expense of ourselves. Doing the things that represent his will. Doing the things that carry out his word. His desires, because guess what? He's the covenant partner. And we know he has our back. That's not an issue. It's the other way around. So really what this means is that we represent our covenant partner in the world and his end of things is established through our obedience. If we're not willing to be obedient, folks, if we're not willing to represent our covenant partner as if God is standing here in the things that we do in this world and how we live our lives, you cannot expect that God is able to release the benefits of the covenant on your behalf. Because it's a legal contract. And for things from a legal perspective to be carried out or to be manifested, guess what? There are things that have to be fulfilled. And it's out of his hands. You went into contract with him. And if you violate that contract, then there are, pen- there are things that happen. And I feel like, I've never heard anyone say this, but I feel like that's what God was saying in Genesis 17.1 when he says, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. I think that when God was telling Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect, it was as good as him saying, now Abraham, guess what? You are covenant partners with me. Walk in this world as I would walk in this world. Because you represent me. Do you all see that? Okay, let's move on. God swears an oath. Of course, we see that in that scripture. The covenant oath is by God to God. He he swore by himself. And what that meant was that he was placing his life and authority as the foundation of the covenant. And if if the covenant was, was rent, was violated from his perspective, his life would be forfeit. That's literally the value that God put on this because he swore by himself. And listen to what Hebrews 6, 13, 17 through 18 says. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. And then verse 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. So when God swears by himself, guess what? It's truth. And it will never fail. Heaven and earth will pass away. But his word will remain forever. Okay, so let's move quickly through the the rest of this old covenant so we can get into the the awesomeness of the new covenant. The law and the priesthood are established. I mean, we see things go on through the Old Testament after Abraham and the various things that take place that are very significant. But one of the more significant things, again, this is just some points and, and significant parts of covenant. It's not an exhaustive teaching. 
but we see the establishment of the law and, and, and priesthood. And, you know, so much is made of the law. In fact, religion is made of the law. We still see it today. Rules and regulations. And you have to be obedient to that or you don't get, you don't merit something with God. Well, I'm here this morning to tell you, stop trying to merit things with God. You can't merit them. That's why Jesus had to come. Hallelujah. So the law was never meant to justify. It was only meant to serve as a reminder of man's problem, his sin nature. That's all the law was given to do. It wasn't given for people to take and codify and turn it into this body of doctrine that in, that everyone had to, to ascribe themselves to day in, day out, minute by minute, step by step, in order to earn their way unto God. God never intended that. He intended for one thing with the law, and that was to show them that without sacrifice of innocent blood, there would be no remission of sins. There would be no remission of sins. You can't do anything to excuse your your sin, your violations of the covenant. Listen to what Galatians 3.19 says. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed, capital S, to whom the promise referred had come. There it is right there. It was just added because of the transgressions, to occupy a place of reminding people that, guess what? The seed is coming. The seed is coming that will take away the sins of the world. The seed is coming that will not just cover your sins, but take them away and cast them in the sea of forgetfulness. Hallelujah. And so through this, through the law, through the priesthood, you know, God, He uh, provides a means of atonement. And we talked about atonement just being covering. And, and, and this means of atonement is through blood sacrifice. And so what would happen is, you know, uh, and then we see a good scripture here, Hebrews 9, 22, almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. That means there's no forgiveness would be a, a more clear translation. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness. Okay, and then one of the final things that we actually talked about this a little last week, and I just want to go through it really quickly, is the Day of Atonement. This is one of the actual things that was codified through the law and the priesthood that would take place once a year. And uh, <clears throat> what would happen is literally they would bring the high priest that was chosen for that year would bring two goats before him. One would be the sacrificial goat whose blood would be, he, the goat would be slain after he had pronounced the sins of the people upon that goat. He would slay that goat before the people take the blood into the most holy of holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat in accordance with the, uh, the writing of the law in accordance with God's edicts to do this. And then by him doing that, that blood, again, without blood, the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That's the shedding of blood at that point in time. And it wasn't the blood of goats that was going to do anything except be an IOU 
by God to God through man. It's obedience. And every time that priest took that, that hyssop branch or whatever it was, and he slung that blood on the, on the mercy seat, and he slung that blood on the mercy seat, it was as good from a prophetic standpoint as God sitting there saying, I owe you the blood of Jesus Christ one day. I owe you the blood of Jesus that will take away the sins of the world. I owe you the life of Jesus whom he will willingly lay down for his sheep. Every time he slung that, and that blood remained on the mercy seat from year to year, and through all, out all the years, that blood served as a covering for the sin. It did not take the burden of sin away from them, but it covered them for that year. And it covered them from a perspective of the one who will take away that sin and the, and the results of it is coming one day. It's just not ready yet. It's just not time yet. Y'all see that? Man, that's so significant. Then the other one is the scapegoat. You know, we talked about the scapegoat. Have any of y'all been a scapegoat before? We asked that question. Yeah, been there, done that. Someone put the blame on you and sent you outside the camp for everybody to ridicule and forget about. And the scapegoat, the priest would take that goat and would pronounce the sins of the people upon that goat and would cast that goat out into the outer wilderness. And we said that that was a type and a shadow of what Jesus would do in terms of taking not only not only purchasing us and, and purchasing the redemption because of our sin, in other words, paying for the penalty of our sin, but it was as good as taking that level of forgiveness all the way to its fullest end, and that was to forgetfulness. How many of you all can forgive, but when it comes to forgetting, that's a little bit different matter? And I'll tell you this morning that the true sign of, forgive, of forgiveness, I'm going to tell you the fullness of forgiveness. Now, in your heart, by your spirit, by an act of your uh, own will, you can forgive by faith if you choose to. But then what you have to do is you have to get into the Word of God and you have to come to a place that the spirit of love that's been poured inside of your heart, the agape love, the love that doesn't have anything to do with whether someone deserves it or not, becomes, it's been shed abroad in your heart and you renew your mind to that regarding that person to the point that the sting of that wound is not there anymore. And eventually to the place that, guess what? You forget it. That's forgiveness. If you've forgotten something someone's done to you, have you forgiven them? Oh, man. And that's where our Father God is at, folks. That's where our Father God is at. Praise God for the scapegoat. So it, it covered for the people's sin. We know that it was an object lesson, and there's a good scripture there uh, that you can read at some point in time. And, of course, it foreshadowed Jesus' sacrifice. It was the IOU, if you will. So let's move into the new covenant. So we see that the old covenant was established to bring forth Christ. That's the whole reason for it. Who would then establish the new covenant, founded on better promises. And you know, like we said, the law was never intended to redeem man. And you can look at this in Galatians 3, 23 through 24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Not by works, but by faith. And, and the reason for this, folks, is because God didn't want to dwell in temples made of human hands. He wanted to dwell in temples made by His hands, 
namely us. Lively stones, hallelujah. Man, if you stop and think about that, you might shout a little bit. And then what he, what he wanted to see is, is no longer a law from the outside and a letter from the outside to try to be, a, to ascribe your life and, and adapt your life to and to form your life after, but a law that would come from within because guess what? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the, his righteousness would come up inside of you and it would become a new law that would guide your actions. It would give you the purpose and sense of his life and kingdom inside of you. Not from an outward perspective of legalism, but from an inward perspective of the life that would come because of it. God's life. The kingdom of God being established. I'm about to blow up up here. Man, I tell you what, I found this graphic and I about, I about, I about jumped up and just started dancing. I know it looks kind of, kind of bloody and graphic, but that says it all right there when it comes to covenant folks. Because that is a picture of heaven's lamb. That is a picture of the finality of blood that would ever have to be shed again on behalf of man's sin. That is a picture of the law being fulfilled. When Jesus said, it is finished. Let me tell you folks, every jot and tittle of the law was fulfilled in flesh. He fulfilled it. Okay, man, we got a lot of a lot of ground to cover. So let's talk a little bit about Jesus. Is it okay to talk about Jesus this morning? We've been talking about him whether you've been hearing it or not. Jesus, our mediator. And when you see all these steps, folks, I'm going to point out to you that each one of these steps is something to do with covenant. Something to do with those steps of covenant that God is, is, has wrought between himself and man in the form of his son, Jesus. So we see that, first of all, that his blood was demanded. We talked about that. The IOU. That's all we need to talk about. The IOUs of all the years. The IOUs of all the years on the mercy seat of the blood of goats and other animals that demanded the real blood of the real uh, Passover lamb be, be uh, sacrificed. So I'm giving you some good scripture references for that too. He was also born of promise, much like I, just exactly like Isaac. He was promised, and in fact, you can see multiple prophecies in the Old Testament that talk just nothing but about the coming of Jesus. What town he's going to be born in, what he's going to look like, that he'll not have the form and appearance of any man that we would marvel at him. You know, he's not a handsome guy, in other words, ladies. He's not a handsome guy. He's just a normal... Guys, he's just a normal guy like us. Yeah, that's right, man. Just a normal-looking guy. He wasn't one of these, you know, GQ, you know, chiseled rock, specimens yeah he's a blue-collar redneck guy like me he grew up 30 years in the carpentry shop swinging a hammer he knew how to work had calluses on his hands he was born of promise and we also see just like abraham remember remember abraham willingly gave isaac well guess what god willingly gave up his son hallelujah 
Hallelujah. And we see that Jesus walked perfectly. You remember what God said to Abraham? Walk before me and be thou perfect. Guess what? Jesus did that. Abraham tried, but he couldn't. But Jesus did. He walked in all perfection. If you don't believe me, you just go read Hebrews 4.15. That he was tested or, or tempted in every way, yet was without sin. In Romans 8.3, with regard to the fact that he did not. I mean, that he walked it out. He walked out that life. Here's Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And that's just as good as saying he took, he took the victory on the enemy, into the enemy's camp and whipped it on its own turf. He whipped it on its own turf. You know, a victory, when a visitor comes up in your house and beats you, that's a sound victory. And that's what Jesus did. He came up in the devil's uh, playground and he whipped him there. He didn't whip him on some uh, uh, home turf. He whipped him in the in the the realm of the of the flesh and of the realm of the law, the curse of, of the sin and death. Oh, and like like Isaac, he willingly gave himself. He willingly gave himself. That's Jesus' word saying. You know, he told the guys, you don't take my life from me, I lay it down. He institutes a covenant meal. How many of us know what that meal is? It's it's communion. And I say he institutes it because he says as often as you do it. He didn't say when you do it once. He said as often. And I would invite you to do it as often as you want to do it. Because there is power in that. You're pulling on the fabric of your covenant with God by identifying with Christ in that, in that meal. And we talked about this. Jesus was both the sacrifice and the scapegoat. You remember John saying, Behold the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. That takes them away. That's the scapegoat. <clears throat> He bore both punishment and penalty. And I've got some good scripture references there. And what I mean by that is the punishment for sin, sickness, and poverty of not just the spirit, of not just the physical, but the mental too. All realms of our existence, Christ bore the punishment for sin. But then he also paid the penalty because what is the penalty though? That's different. There's a punishment that is inflicted up until the time that the fullness of your penalty for sin is paid, which is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. He bore both the punishment. Folks, He didn't just bear your right to stand before God someday in the eternal sweet by and by. He bore your right to stand right now and to walk out a victorious walk over the death, hell, and the grave here in this life. And the, the semblance of that, which are sickness. The semblance of that, which are poverty. Hallelujah. Is anybody going to say hallelujah or amen on that? He was offers, offered once for all. His sacrifice is eternal. Man, I'm actually done. 
I thought I had a whole lot more to do. You know, I know this is a graphic picture, but I tell you what, it paints a pretty clear message. You know, folks, if there's one thing you walk away from today, after a couple weeks of hearing about some of the more significant elements of the blood covenant, would you walk away knowing that your justification will never be in what you can do? Will you walk away today understanding a little bit more about what price was actually paid for you to live a life like that song says, free of sin. You know, will you walk away this morning with a little bit more confidence in the one in whom you believe to know that he's able to keep that which you've committed to him against that day? Will you walk away this morning knowing in whom you believe that he has loved you with an everlasting love? And with loving kindness has drawn you to Him. And is still doing that even over the past couple of weeks as we deliver the message of the plan of His redemption for your life. How could we in the face of this ever, ever, ever question the purity of the love of God for us? And I just want to leave you with the words of Jesus when He was praying before He actually gave his life up for us, turned it over. And he went through a long prayer there with the Father. And he was praying unto the, to the Father for his, for his disciples. <laughs> and he said, Father, <laughs> let them know that you love them. As you love me. Dear God. How can we ever question. The love of our God. If you ever question your worth. To God. I'm going to settle it right now this morning. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Your worth to Him is equal footing with His one and only Son. And you say, Greg, how can you say that? That's sacrilege. You're putting me on an even level with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And yes, I am because He said, let them know that you have loved them as you have loved me. And then He demonstrated it by giving His life to pay for yours. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God ain't in to no uneven change. In, uh, in service or business. So he, if he looks at your, va- uh, he looks at your value as, the, as equal to that of Jesus' life or he wouldn't have paid it with that price. Y'all see that? Holy Spirit, please. Holy Spirit, you're, you're here to deliver us into truth, to lead us into truth and knowledge. And I ask that you would lead us. I ask for those, Lord God, this morning that have never really had an understanding of what we're talking about, Lord God. I ask, Holy Spirit, I beg you, Holy Spirit, that you would deliver this revelation unto them. Give them knowledge and understanding, O God. Everyone that's sitting in here, people out on the Internet, Lord God, that would watch this. People.